want to thank uh, Gary Adams last week for leading in communion. Also, uh, Bill Maroney for uh, preaching for me at pretty much uh, uh, just a couple days' notice. And uh, that was the second time in 22 years uh, that I missed a Sunday service because of being sick. And uh, I got to tell you, I was very jealous of all your good health, just to let you know. Um, last week I had the flu, influenza, you know, and uh, this is how I felt as told by emojis. I had a fever and I was sick for days. And my body was aching, felt horrible, coughing and hacking and blowing my nose. And I thought I was going to die. Okay, that's just the truth of it. And, uh, but I was doing everything to get better. I, I mean, I was doubling up on my juice plus vitamins and daytime meds, nighttime meds. I even tried this stuff called osocoxinum, which is a extract of duck liver and heart mixed with sugar. I don't know. Anyway, I, and uh, I was drinking water, 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 and chicken noodle soup and cough drops. And I slept. Man, I slept more than I slept since a newborn. But anyway, there are all kinds of different strains of flu. And today... I want to warn you about one. It's an old strain of flu. It's highly contagious. It's breaking out all over the country. And it's an epidemic even in God's house, in the church. The strain of flu that I'm talking about is affluenza, sickness commonly known as greed. Affluenza, defined as materialism and consumerism, associated with the pursuit of wealth and success, resulting in a life of chronic dissatisfaction, debt, overwork, stress, and impaired relationships. That's affluenza. Some of you here today have a full-blown case. And no one knows how sick you really are. Others of you have started to come down with this sickness. And you need help right away. It's vital that we all get inoculated, vaccinated, medicated, ASAP. You need your flu shots, affluenza shots. Here's the good news. Dr. Poling is here to help, okay? (laughs) I will be administering flu shots from the pulpit this morning. So get ready, all right? Affluenza shots from God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and the Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy, this man in the ministry, and as he's writing to him about this possible sickness, he's also writing to all of us. And so we come to our fifth emoji, how do we handle greed? How do we manage this emotion of wanting more greed? 1 Timothy chapter 6, read along as I start reading in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Affluenza shot number one. Here it is. Learn contentment. Say it with me. Learn contentment. 
Now, he starts off in verse 6, godliness. Okay, godliness means acting like God, being like God, righteous or holy. Godliness is a means of great gain. Well, what exactly is he talking about? Godliness is a means of great gain. Well, if you go back to verse 5, you see the context. That there's friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose godliness is a means of gain. So believe it or not, back then, men were using religion to make money off of people. Can you believe that? That would never happen, would it? No. He says godliness is a means of great gain, verse 6, when accompanied by contentment. So, now, contentment. Contentment. That means to be satisfied with what you have. Contentment. It means to be adequately happy where you are. Contentment. He says godliness is great, but godliness is greater when it's partnered with contentment. So you can do better than godliness when you partner up with contentment. My son just a couple weeks ago uh, went to winter formal. And I guess he could have gone by himself. But, you know, it's better to go with a date. And so uh, here's a picture of him and his friend Noah Lewis who come here and their date, Sarah and Natalie. And uh, they went together to winter formal. I I want you to understand, you can live a godly life, okay? But take a date with you everywhere you go. Partner up with contentment. And it's your job to ask her, guys, And it's your job, ladies, to ask him. You take her. Her name is Contentment. You take him, ladies. His name is Contentment. She's beautiful, guys. He's handsome. He's dreamy, ladies. Take contentment with you everywhere you go. When you live a godly life, it's special. When you live a godly life with contentment, it's in an entirely different level. And it stands out. I was at a pastor's conference about two years ago, and uh, it was a very special conference that I went to. There were only nine of us pastors that, that went to it, uh, pastors of larger churches, and, and we were being mentored by a mega church pastor. This guy is, this, just to let you know, the church he pastored is 9,000 seat auditorium. That's larger than Willow Creek to give you some perspective. The church runs about 30,000 people on a weekend with all their campuses. It's just mammoth. And so I was invited to go to this thing and sit down and be mentored by this guy, and it was wonderful. And then we were invited to go to his house for dinner one night. So I pull up in my little rental car to his house, and I look. And it's a... 30-year-old, little two-story home in a regular old little neighborhood like anybody else's. And he drives around in a little four-door sedan, and his wife does too, nothing ostentatious. Can I tell you what it was? It was so refreshing. It was so... This is a guy who travels the world and writes best-selling books, and, and he's just godly with contempt. And it was a thing of beauty. Can I tell you, that can be you. That can be me. Take contentment with you everywhere you go. You take her, you take them. Learn contentment. Now, 
let me tell you, John D. Rockefeller started the Standard Oil Company in the 1900s, early 1900s. He was the world's richest man and America's first billionaire. A reporter once asked John D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And he was serious. Socrates put it this way. He who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. If you're not content now because you want that, you're not going to be content when you get that. You've got to learn to be content right now, right where you are. King Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, who had it all, did it all. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is what? It's vanity. You're not going to be satisfied. Proverbs 27.20. Nor are the eyes of man what? ever satisfied it's kind of like you get this new car and you love this new car and then somebody pulls up next well it's kind of like this it just ain't right man you thought you had a nice car until somebody pulls up next to you with a nicer car You thought you had a nice home until you're invited over to somebody else's home that's nicer than your home. It just never ends. We've got to learn to be content. And it doesn't come naturally. We're not born with it. It's a learned trait. And the Apostle Paul taught this in Philippians 4. Not that I speak from one, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. What's the secret? Of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. Verse 13, say it with me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is probably one of the most yanked out of context verses in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can conquer that challenge and I can climb that mountain. I can, can you be content? That's the context. The context is I can go without. I don't have to have that. I can live a satisfied life. See, that is the strength of Christ. The strength of Christ in a believer that he doesn't have to have more. He can be content. So that's the first flu shot. Affluenza shot number one, learn contentment. Here's the second one, keep perspective. Say it with me. Keep perspective. Look at verse seven. We brought nothing into the world, so we're not taking anything out of it either. We were born with nothing. Sometimes we forget. This is what we look like when we were born. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just your naked little bottom. No clothes, no shirt, no pants, no shoes, no wallet, no purse, no money, no stuff, no possessions. You weren't even pretty. I mean, your squishy face, lopsided head covered in junk, okay? Now, there is one exception. My youngest, my daughter, when she was born, I mean, look at this. Rolex watch was on her wrist. I I kid you not. Nothing. We are born with nothing. By the way, That's how we're going out. You're going out with nothing. I have stood at the casket of many, many people that I've done their funeral. And uh, for many years, 22 years worth of doing funerals. 
And I've seen many funeral home directors and people who work at the funeral home. And, and when you stand at the casket afterward and, and you await to go to the graveside service and the rest of the family is dismissed out of the room and it's just you and the casket and those who work at the funeral home. And I have watched countless guys take the glasses off of their face, pull the rings off of their fingers, take the watches off of their wrists, and stick them in their pocket. I'm hoping to give to the family later. (laughs) Because that person in the casket is not taking them with them. Nothing goes with you. Your diamond ring is not going with you. Your watch is not going, your jewelry is not going, your clothes are not going, your fishing pole and your golf club are not going, your favorite frying pan is not going. I mean, family pictures and heirlooms, your smartphone, that thing goes straight to hell. That's not going. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. I mean, especially the ones that ring in church. I mean, they're done, man. All right? And we're reminded of these same truths over and over. In Job chapter 1, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return there. I'm, I'm not taking anything with me. I was born with nothing. I'm going with nothing. Ecclesiastes 5.15, naked I came from my mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take what? Nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. You will not even take a handful of your possessions. You are exiting this planet very soon. And so am I. And you know what? We're packing really light. As a matter of fact, we're not packing anything. As a matter of fact, there is no packing for the most important trip of your life. There is no packing for the longest trip of your life. There's no packing. Now, you just better make sure the destination is heavenly and not hot. You just need to make sure you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Because you're not taking anything with you. So, flu shot number one, learn contentment. Number two, keep perspective. Here's the third flu shot, affluenza shot. Embrace the basics. Just embrace the basics of life. Look at verse eight. I'm talking total basics here. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Food and covering, and you're good to go. So, so you gonna eat today? Answer. You're good to go. You wearing clothes today? Thank goodness you're wearing clothes today. You're good to go. Listen, if you're going to eat today and you're wearing clothes today, you're good today. And if you're going to eat tomorrow and you're going to wear clothes tomorrow, you're good tomorrow. I I want you to notice this. He doesn't even mention a roof over the head. He doesn't even say you have to have a home. I wonder why. Maybe it was because Jesus was homeless and the Father still provided for him. You don't even have to have your own home. Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and now I'm old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. God takes care of his own. Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? I take care of birds. I'm going to be taking care of you basics. And he says, with these, you shall be content. It's the second time he mentions this word. Pretty important when he repeats a word twice so close together. Content. Shot one, learn contentment, keep perspective, embrace the basics. Here's the affluenza shot number four. Fear the dangers. Say that with me. Fear the dangers. There are some very grave, serious dangers that come with the sickness of greed. Please, 
Don't miss these. Greed is a very serious sickness. Verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. And Whoa, 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 Pastor Scott. I don't want to get rich. I don't want to get rich. Then why did you play the lottery? Well, I only played when it's really big. So you want to be rich. So really rich then, huh? You're greedy if you play the lottery. I don't care when you play it. You're greedy. Why do you play the lottery? Because you want to get rich? By the way, it was 68 million, 2, 18, 19, 22, 63, Powerball 19. I just know I didn't. Let me ask you another question. Why do you cheat on your taxes? Why don't you report what you really made? Because you're greedy. Why do you cheat your customers? Cut corners. Why do you cheat your boss? Why do you cheat your employee? Why do you steal from work? Why do you lie about your hours? Because you're sick. You're greedy. Why do you cheat your family with working endless, endless hours, never home, you know, chasing that dollar bill? Because you're greedy. Why do you cheat God is the question. You don't give to God. You rarely give to God. You you, you withhold from God your tithes, your offerings. Why? Because you're greedy. That's why. You're sick. You've come down with greed. Those who want to get rich. Now, but Pastor Scott, there's no, no, there's nothing wrong with making a living. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with using, using successful business practices. The Bible's full of good godly advice on money management. I mean, Joseph is setting aside money for savings. And in Ecclesiastes, we see aggressive investments and diversified investments. And in Proverbs, we see wise planning and working hard. And by the way, at our church, we teach these classes through Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. There's three classes coming right up. I encourage you, sign up and learn what the Bible has to say about money and money management. But greedy living is dangerous living. It's a fourfold fall. Verse 9, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Temptation. Greed is very enticing. Here, this is known as the idiot fish. He's easily caught with dollar bills. Proverbs 11.6, the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. They fall into temptation. They fall into a snare. Here, here. When that thing springs, that's going to hurt. You better believe it. Many foolish desires. Listen, greed takes away your thought capacity to, to think rationally. You make dumb decisions and senseless, foolish decisions. And many foolish desires, and they end up with harmful desires. You harm yourself, and you harm others. Listen, when you fall, you get hurt. It says in verse 9, you, it plunges men into ruin and destruction. Plunges fast. It's unexpected. And literally means it means to sink and submerge. I was running off trail yesterday with a friend of mine, and there was a big creek, and so we were jumping this creek, and I go to jump it, and boom, fall right right in the creek on my rear end and my feet are sopping wet, my gloves are sopping wet. It's only in the 20s, you know, and I'm sitting in a creek in the middle of the woods. I got six more miles to run and my derriere hurts and my pride hurts. Everything hurts. 
That's what greed does to you. You think you're making a great jump with this decision. You're done. You're going to sink, man. It says here, it plunges men into ruin and destruction. You are going to ruin your marriage and your family because of your greed. Proverbs 15, 27, he who profits illicitly troubles his own house. They say about 50% of marriages fail. One study, 83% were caused by arguments over money. Arguments over money on another study was the number one predictor of divorce. By the way, if you've gone through the tragedy of a divorce, we have divorce recovery at our church. And I would encourage you to find uh, hope and healing starting on Monday, March 20th. You can sign up in the bulletin or online, but that's available. You ruin your marriage and family with greed. You'll ruin your business. Risky decisions, unwise, betting against the odds. You, you ruin friendships. You'll ruin partnerships because of greed. You'll, you'll ruin your health, mentally, physically, worrying. Ecclesiastes 5.12, the sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. The full stomach of the rich does not allow him to sleep. He's always worried about his money. It'll ruin your joy in life. Ecclesiastes 4.8, there's a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother. There's no end to all his labor. He's a workaholic. His eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is what? Vanity and a grievous task. The Lord Jesus said in Luke 12, beware, be on guard against every form of greed. Why? For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Life isn't about stuff. That's not where the joy of life is found. And not only that, it will ruin your reputation. People will hate you. They'll see you as a greedy miser. Proverbs eleven twenty six: He who withholds grain, the people will curse him. It's in the context of business, withholding something to force the price up. Squeezing people for every last penny, gouging them. You ruin your life. Just ask Achan. Joshua 7. Greed cost him and his family their lives. Elisha's servant Gehazi. Greed cursed him with leprosy. Simon the magician in Acts 8. Greed brought a curse from the apostle Paul. Ananias and Sapphira in the early church. Lying about their property. Lying about their giving. She walks in, what does Peter say? Those who carried out the body of your husband will now carry you out. And she died. Greed, that's what greed does. Judas, Matthew 27, eternally condemns his soul as he sells the Savior for 30 pieces of silver. Yes, ruin your soul, that's what greed will do. Mark 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and what? forfeit his soul what will a man give in exchange for his soul the answer is nothing living for riches and happiness will turn into ruin and emptiness every time living for riches and happiness always turns into ruin and emptiness by the way we see this in the parable of the four soils as the word of god is preached or the word of god is taught as it is being done today we read about the different soils that are sitting among us right now. Mark 4, 18. Seed was sown among the thorns. 
These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, and what happens? Chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Greedy soil is bad soil. It's the thorny soil. Greedy souls are bad souls. Greed renders the word of God ineffective. Some of you, this is happening right now. You don't want to hear about money. You don't want to hear about greed. And greed's hands are around your neck right now saying, don't swallow this stuff. Greed is putting its hands over your ears right now saying, don't listen to this stuff. There will be people here today who will hear the word of God and walk out these doors and not hear the word of God. Because you will allow greed to choke what God wants to teach you. Let God teach you. Do not listen to the lies of greed. Overcome your sickness before it overcomes you. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Stop loving money. Say that with me. Stop loving money. There is this mistress of yours. Her name is money and she loves to sweet, just, just whisper sweet things in your ears. Break off your relationship with your mistress money. End it. Hebrews 13.5, make sure your character is free of her, free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you. That's what God says. I will never forsake you. That's what God says. Money can't make that promise to you. God does. Stop loving money and start being content. Love God, not money. Trust God, not money. Money can never do for you what God can do for you. The love of money is ruining your love for God. You say, no, 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 it's not. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. It's impossible, God says. You must choose who to love. Love me or love your mistress. It says here that the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. So, so picture evil as this huge old big tree, massive root structure, you know, uprooted during a tornado. And then you see that root structure, all the different areas of evil. Some of those are a love of money, greed. And I want you to notice, the evil is hidden below the surface. You can't see it all. You don't see it until the big tree of evil is upended. Or the feds raid your corporate office of the tree called Caterpillar. But that's another story. What's below the surface? What does greed lead to? Greed leads to pride. Thinking you're better than anybody else because you got more money than other people. It leads to coveting what others have. It leads to lying on your taxes. It leads to bribing, using your money, buy off people. It leads to stealing, even from your own parents. Proverbs 28, 24, he who robs his father or his mother and says, oh, it's not a transgression, is the companion of a man who destroys. 
Yeah, not giving your parents back the change. And, and your parents are elderly, and so taking advantage of their finances. Do you see what greed has turned you into? A monster. By the way, greed causes us to wander into such danger. Verse 10, some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. Greed gets Christians lost every single day. That mistress just calls to you. Wander and and just pulls you away from God. Pulls you away from church. I can't go to church anymore. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. I can't serve God. I got to work. I got to work. I'm too busy. I got to work. I don't have time to fellowship with God's people. I got to work. I got to work. All of a sudden, you're just pulled away from God and all things godly. Some of you are sick this morning. You're starting to wander away. Her name was Geraldine. She was 66 years old and on the adventure of a lifetime. Here's a picture of her. She was hiking the Appalachian Trail. And she wrote this heartbreaking entry into her journal. When you find my body, please call my husband George and my daughter Carrie. It will be the greatest kindness for them to know that I am dead and where you found me. No matter how many years from now. Two years after Geraldine scribbled those words on August August 2013, a logging surveyor, a logging company surveyor, stumbled across her campsite and found her remains. She was zipped up in her sleeping bag and inside her tent. It turned out that that sweet lady Geraldine wandered off trail and got lost. She was two miles from the Appalachian Trail. Don't wander off trail. Don't listen to greed. Don't follow her words. Don't let that mistress of money sweet talk you away from loving your Savior. Love your God, trust your God, and follow your God. Love your God, trust God, and follow God. Because if not, it's going to end in self-inflicted pain. Verse 10, they've pierced themselves with many griefs. See, see, when I get off trail, I, I get in trouble. I end up sitting in a, in a, you know, a creek, or, or I end up like this, having my shins split open. That's what happens when you get off trail and you just start running through deer trails. Those are called saw briars, also known as wait a minutes. Yeah, they, they stop you right in your track. Greed leads to self-piercing pain. You're not going to see it until you run into it. Don't follow it. Affluenza shots, learn contentment, keep perspective, embrace the basics, fear the dangers. Here's the fifth one. Make the exchange. Make the exchange. You guys, we all know what it's like to go to a store when we've got to make an exchange. We've got to make the exchange. We have this thing, so we, we get our receipt out and we wait in line. We wait in line. We wait in line. And we're going to make the exchange. Well, what we need to do is we need to take greed and exchange it for some things. And what we need to do is exchange it. Look at verse 11. Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue. Here's the exchange. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And he says flee. That's the same word we get our English word for fugitive. And it's present tense. Keep on fleeing. You keep running away from the mistress of money. You don't listen to her. You keep running from her. No matter what she says, you keep running from that mistress of money. 
Flee from her. Flee from that get rich quick scheme. Flee from that purchase you know you shouldn't make. Flee from that credit card company saying, take out another credit card. Flee. And he says, flee, you man of God. Look at, look at, look at this. Don't miss this. I love this. That's your identity. Your identity is not your house. Your identity is not your job. Your identity is not your bank account. Your identity is not your car or your truck. Your identity is not your kitchen. Your identity is as a child of God. Flee from these things, you man of God, you woman of God, you child of God. That is your identity. Hold on to your true identity. And then he says this, flee from these things, from greedy vices, and flee to godly virtues. So you're going to run away from greedy vices, and you're going to pursue godly virtues. And then he lists them out. Exchange greed for righteousness. That's outward acts of righteousness toward God and men. Exchange greed for godliness. That's the next one. That's the inner attitude. Those are your motives. I'm going to work on my motives, God. Exchange greed for faith. Lord, I'm going to live by faith in you, not faith in my money. I'm going to live by faith in you, not faith in my job. I'm going to trust you to meet my needs. That's faith. Pursue faith. Exchange greed for love. This is agape love. A a love of God and a love for people. Listen, you know what greed wants you to do? Greed wants you to see every person you run into as potential profit. Greed wants you to see people like that. Everybody's a buck. Everybody's a buck. Everybody's a buck. No, everybody's a soul. Everybody's a person. And you need to stop seeing people as profit and start seeing people as people and exchange your greed for love. And then he says, exchange greed for perseverance. This is that undying loyalty to the Lord. No matter what it costs me, God, I'm going to follow you. Even if it costs me money, even if it costs me business, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to persevere. And then exchange greed for gentleness. That's a kindness. That's a humility. Flu shot number six. We're going to jump now down to verse 17. Live gratefully. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He starts off by saying, I want you to live gratefully, not pridefully. He says, not be conceited. And and he starts off by saying, instruct those who are rich. So all you rich people out there, listen up. All you rich people, Some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not rich. I'm talking to you, and you, and you, and you, and you. I'm talking to this entire section, and that entire section, and that entire section, and that entire section, and to myself, because every single one of us is filthy rich. You drove here in a car? You got more than one car? You have a house with how many bedrooms? How many baths? You have jewelry? Listen, you have how many shoes in your closet, Imelda Marcos? 
Oh man, you are rich. Every single person in this room is fabulously wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And he says, and don't you be proud. Don't be proud. Because money has a way of thinking, making us think we're smarter than other people. Proverbs 28, 11, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor man who has understanding sees right through him. Money, money blinds rich fools. Makes us think we're better than we really are. Poor people see right through it. They understand what's more important. Not pridefully, not foolishly. Then it says this, don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Verse 17, money is such a false sense of security. Some of you think, well, I got this money in the bank, I'm safe, or I got this job, and I'm... What are you talking about? You trust more in that false sense of security than you do in God. You, you think this nest egg, you think this savings, you th- what are you doing? Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's what? It's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. You've heard the saying, money talks. You know what it most often says? Goodbye. I'm out of here. How many times do you have to say, man, where'd the money go? Where'd the money go? Where'd the money go? It made itself wings is what happened. And it flew away, friends. You live gratefully, not proudfully. You live gratefully, not foolishly. You live gratefully. Look at verse 17. You you instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, the God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So all glory goes to God for everything you have and everything you own. It's all a gift from God. Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. God has even given you the ability to make the money that you have. He's given you the strength. He's given you the wisdom. He's given you the the financial insights. Understand that. It's a gift from him. Proverbs 10, 22. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. In other words, honest, hardworking, well-earned wealth is a blessing that, that comes without regret or sorrow. There is nothing even wrong with being rich. As long as you own money and money doesn't own you, understand that. It's a blessing of God. James 1.17, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So you give glory to God. You live gratefully is how we need to live, not greedily. And then there's one last shot. And this might be the hardest to administer, and it's going right in your backside. Give generously. Say it with me. Give generously. Listen, you want to honestly protect yourself from the sickness of greed? You need to learn how to give. And if you can't give, you're sick with greed. You are. Because this is a battle between giving and greed, and there's only one winner. There's only one winner. And if you're not a giver, you're greedy. And if you're greedy, you're not a giver. Look at verse 18 and 19. Instruct them to do good, 
to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Three times he mentions good. good do good, rich in good works, and a good foundation. Good, good, good. Good means noble, that which is excellent, that which is genuine, not superficial. And then he says, be rich in good works. That's generosity, he says, ready to share. Not hoarding and holding on to your money. Ecclesiastes 5.13 talks about that and calls it a grievous evil, which I've seen under the sun, riches being hoarded to by their owner to his hurt. There are people that just hold on to their money, hold on to their money. Nobody's going to touch my money. Listen, I got news for you. You are miserable because you're financially constipated. That's what you are. You're financially constipated, man. Nothing ever flows out of you. And can I tell you something? It's time you get regular. You need to get regular in your giving. You need to be regular and generous in your giving. You just need to see this message as spiritual metamucil. This is religious fiber, okay, that gets your finances flowing. That's what this is all about. So take your medicine because you sick is what you are. You are financially constipated, sir, and it's time you learn how to get regular and start regularly giving. And by the way, that's when the joy will come back. That's when the joy will come back. Acts 30, 20, 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to what? To receive. The reason you can't smile is because you're financially constipated. And you don't know what it is to be regular and generous and joyful. And it's about time you learn. Do good, rich in good works. And then verse 19, lay a foundation that's good. Stop looking for the returns on your investments in this life and start looking for future dividends. Uh, Listen, life indeed is not all about this life. Life indeed is a focus on eternal life. And that's where your focus needs to start getting. And those are your influenza shots. What are they? Say them with me. Learn contentment. Keep perspective embrace the basics, fear the dangers, make the exchange, live gratefully, and give generously.